Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, so the Holy Spirit has been doing a lot of work, um, has been moving and active. I feel like this week, just seeing the fruit of it, this past Wednesday night, we had uh, tons of kids, middle school and high school students, come to a worship night, which means no fun, all right? We're not doing games, we're not doing anything, we're, we're just eating food, and, and, and we're going to sing the Bible and sing God's Word together, and it was amazing, uh, I've never in all my years here seen so many kids show up uh, to worship. Uh, absolutely stunning. And that night, uh, many kids gave their lives to Christ. So absolutely incredible. It's so cool to see what God does just through the preaching of his word and through the work of the spirit as the word is preached. And so my prayer this morning is that as I speak, that it would not be me speaking, but it's God's word um, and the spirit in your heart. Uh, one of the things, though, that I commonly experience uh, when I go talk with other youth pastors or even sometimes talk with students uh, is this idea that kids, they like the idea of Jesus. Um, and, and I think it's the same thing for adults. We like the idea of Jesus uh, and the concept of the gospel because in some ways we feel like it gives us this freedom to do whatever we want. So sometimes I'll be sitting with kids and I'll be like, yeah, but Jesus, Jesus has me covered. I'm good. I can keep on sinning, drinking, smoking, adulterating, and then I don't have to go to hell for it. Heck, I don't even have to feel bad for it. Jesus forgives me, right? Jesus loves me, right? Jesus, to me, is a get-out-of-jail-free card. And to them, at times, is a get-out-of-jail-free card instead of a relationship. Oftentimes, is it not true that our relationship with Jesus can be somewhat transactional of like, I go to church, I cash in my confession, I get back my salvation, instead of this personal and intimate and deeply connected, daily following relational experience with God. In Galatians, Paul preaches a gospel that we are justified by the works of Christ alone. In Galatians 5, 1 through 15, the text right before the text that we'll be talking about this morning, Paul says that again, over and over again, that we are justified by Christ alone and we're set free from the bondage of the law and of sin. But this does not mean that we are free to do whatever we want. And Paul offers clarity to that and what we'll be talking about this morning in Galatians 5, 16 through 26, he offers the Galatian church clarity on the matter of freedom through the gospel and what that really looks like. Because it's true, it's so true that it is Christ alone for our salvation. But what does that mean for the rest of our lives as we follow Jesus, as we move forward into the unknown? What kind of fruit should we bear in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to read Galatians 5:16 through 21. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word spoken to you this morning. It's the most important thing said, and it will last forever. You can take a seat. Right off the bat, in verse 17, Paul's describing an inner battle within our hearts as Christians, a war between the flesh and the spirit. And so the first point in your sermon outlines, if you grab them, pull them out, take out your pen, and you can write down warfare. Galatians 5, 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, the way that Paul is using the word flesh here, it's the Greek word sarx. And in this context, he's referring not to your skin or your body, but he's actually referring to your sinful nature that we're born with as human beings in sin. Paul's saying that the desires of our sinful natures, the sarx, the flesh, are in direct opposition to the desires of the Spirit of God. And the Christian has both within them. At work. Paul shares his own personal war with this in Romans 7, and they'll be on the screen. Verse 15, this is Paul's description of his own battle with the flesh and the spirit. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then verses 18 through 19, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then 22 through 24, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? War in our innermost being When you believe in Jesus, you declare war on your sin. Who says that the Christian life is easy? Rather, it's a narrow road and few take it. Why? Because when you follow Christ, you take up arms against sin. But not just sin at large or in general, but even deeper than that, and even more important, you take up war against sin inside yourself, the specific and detailed sin that lives within you. 
War between flesh and spirit. War between the desires of the Sarks and the desires of our Heavenly Father. You know, the people that I think who understand this the best are those who struggle with addictions. They have this unwanted behavior that wreaks havoc on their lives over and over and over again. Every day they wake up with this deep craving for the next dopamine hit. And they know that if they give in, that their action to give in will destroy them, destroy their families, and quite possibly even lead to their own dying. But their flesh will not relent. In the film, The Whale, uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. I was watching it on an airplane uh, flying and I, I just clicked on it and it's Brendan Fraser, he plays the character Charlie who is a 600-pound man who is divorced and is trying to reconnect with his daughter. And the film, what it does, it follows Charlie's last week on earth. And throughout the movie, you're essentially wondering and, and yearning for Charlie to get his life together. You're yearning for him to figure it out, to fix it. But as you watch this movie, you realize Charlie's not going to do that. And you literally watch him during that last week eat himself to death. His friends and family, they intervene and try to help him. But his flesh is relentless. I remember I was just sitting in the airplane seat as I was watching the movie. And I was like, I relate so much to this man. I too know what it's like to fight against my flesh. And it is so difficult. And it is so hard. I remember my own struggles with unwanted behavior and sin and my own struggles with addictions. Every day is a war. I remember when I was a teenager, I would wake up in the morning, I would look in the mirror, and then I would grab my skin and I would want to rip it off the bones because I hated myself. I felt like I was out of control and I could not stop. How was I ever going to make it a day without resisting temptation? How was I ever going to make God proud? One of my uh, favorite songs during my teenage years is titled, Who I Am Hates Who I've Been. And here are the lyrics. This was the war within my heart. I would sing this all the time. I'm sorry for the person I became. I'm sorry that it took so long for me to change. I'm ready to try and never become that way again because who I am hates who I've been. Who I am hates who I've been. The story of the whale and the story of my life has been about a man who is sorry for the person he has become. A man who hates who he has become. And so often, even today, I struggle with that same war and battle where I give in to my flesh. And I even wonder, does the Holy Spirit dwell within me? I feel like every day in my life that I am losing constantly. And I can relate so much to Paul 
when he says in Romans 7, 15, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then when Paul says later, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I feel it. It's so real to me. A war between what I want in my sin and what I want in Jesus. There is a war waging within us as Christians. And there's also fruit. So the second point is the fruit. Paul describes to us what it looks like to gratify the desires of the flesh and what it looks like to gratify the desires of the spirit. If you look to verses 19 through 21, you see a list of sins. And Tim Keller in his commentary on Galatians, he does a brilliant job at breaking these down into categories. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take a moment to look to the screen and he breaks them down this way. He says, you got sins of sexuality, you got sins of religion, you got sins of relationships, and you got sins of substance abuse. And right now I just invite you to read through this list. And I'm just gonna ask prompting questions. And what does the Holy Spirit convict you of as you read the list? And as I ask you these questions, have you ever had sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality? Do you have sexual behavior that is uncontrolled, sensuality? Do you worship celebrities, influencers, football teams, idolatry? Do you use drugs to take the edge off or to numb yourself? Do you hate someone? Do you seek to pick fights? Does all your energy go towards making you just feel better as a person? Do you break out in anger? I do. With my son the other night. (laughs) He wouldn't go to bed. Do you compete against your peers trying to outdo them? Do you make divisions and cliques that exclude people? Do you wish you had what your neighbors have? The new car? The green grass? Every night before you go to bed, do you have a drink? You can just go through this list and you can just pick the ones for the day. And then tomorrow, you could go through it again and you can just pick the ones for tomorrow because all of us are bearing fruit of the flesh. In verses 22 through 23, not only, you know, Paul just goes through this list and then to add insult to entry, he's like, you should actually be bearing fruit that looks like this. And you can look there, Tim Keller, he describes uh, the fruit of the spirit in this way. And I think it's so helpful just to pause because I think you can read that list and be like, yeah, I'm loving, I'm joyful. I have these things figured out. I have self-control, I'm gentle. You can read it and just quickly, but to take a moment to pause and to read through it. As Keller does so brilliantly, he can define these things so well. And I'm gonna do the same exercise. I'm gonna ask you questions. I just go a little deeper. Do you serve people because you love them? Or do you serve them for the purpose of building relational clout so that later you can cash in? Do you delight in God for who he is? Or do you actually delight in God and come to church and worship because you're trying to get something out of him? Do you rest in God or do you try to control everything as much as possible? When trouble hits your life, do you freak out? and become overly anxious? Are you honest about yourself or do you fudge a little here and there in your conversations? Are you one person in front of your family 
but someone completely different with your friends? Does all your thoughts and energy in your mind surround about yourself? And do you give in to your impulses over and over again? How do you do? I think it can be so sobering to just pause for a moment and not just read through the words, but to sit and to meditate and to think and to allow the spirit to convict us and to reveal to us these truths about ourselves. What I find is I have a deep desire to embody all of these fruits of the spirit. I'm like, man, I really, that would be awesome if I was like that. But after reading this section in the text, I walk away feeling discouraged because I feel like the fruit of the flesh is so much more prevalent in my life instead of the fruit of the spirit. And like Paul, I just want to cry out to God and like he does in Romans 7 and say, what a wretched man that I am. But Paul does not leave us here. He doesn't just stop at this list. But he offers us gospel transformation, which is the third point. If you're like me, when you do an exercise like this, you're like, I am going to get it together. That's it. I'm done with myself. I'm sick of my excuses and my antics. I'm going to put it together. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to start taking Jesus seriously and I'm going to start loving him. And it starts tomorrow morning. I'm going to wake up at 530. I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read and I'm going to pray and I'm going to will myself closer to Christ. But this is not what Paul asks you to do. And this is not what he wants you to do. Paul wants you to be transformed, not by your own willpower, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. If you looked at verse 18, you would see that he desires for you to be led by the Spirit. And then you're like, well, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit in my life? And then verse 24, he kind of paints a deeper understanding of that picture of that. He says, I, it looks like belonging to Christ Jesus. And it looks like crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Hey, Paul doesn't want you to do better on your own. He doesn't want you to white knuckle it. But what he wants you to do is go to Jesus and crucify your sins in Jesus. In Romans 7, 24, right after Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Question mark. He's asking a question. In verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Exclamation point. Paul is saying, don't do better. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are bearing the fruit of the flesh. Who will rescue us? Jesus. Paul is saying that the fruit of the Spirit does not come from working harder, but it comes from resting and belonging to Jesus and crucifying your sin on the cross. If you were to white knuckle the fruit of the Spirit, you would be a miserable human being to be around. You may appear loving, joyful, peaceful, but we would all see and know that you were just a whitewashed tomb. Paul wants you to experience life and wants you to, from that life, bear fruit. 
He wants you to accept Jesus' invitation to meet him at the cross and to humbly repent. Brothers and sisters, Jesus right now through the Holy Spirit is gently convicting you of sin and instead of rejecting you, he is inviting you to come to him and to trust in him. And how, how do I know this? How do I see this? Well, it's John 15, three through five. Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. I want you to be with me. Jesus, right before he's about to be crucified, literally, he, he says this to his disciples. And then moments after saying this, he ends up being uh, captured, put on trial, and crucified, okay? So this is like his final words. This is what he says to his disciples. You are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus would go on to die, to resurrect, and to ascend to heaven. And the question the disciples were like, what? How do I abide with you, Jesus, if you're not here? How can I be with you if you're not here? In Galatians 5, it's clear. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit unites you to Christ right now as I speak. You have a, as a Christian, you're at war. And as a Christian, you are both sinner and you are a saint. But also as a Christian, you're on the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Of every single moment, of every single day, being transformed over and over again by the work of the Holy Spirit. Keller says this, Christian growth is gradual. As gradual as a turnip or a potato growing. With botanical growth, you never see it happening. You can only measure it after a time. It would be nice to just be completely fixed right now. But this is not the way. But what I want you to know this morning is that in time, you will see the fruit of Christ in you. It's a journey, a slow process of every single day going to the cross confessing your sins and repenting. Jesus fulfills every single law. Jesus lived on earth and went to war against the flesh. And he not only experienced the full gamut of temptation, but he never once gave into it. This means that he never quenched the desires of his body. He never submitted to his human nature. He was completely righteous in the sight of God as a human being. He never experimented with his sexuality. He never numbed the pain of being human with drunkenness and drugs. He never hated his enemies. He never gossiped. He never gratified these desires. From start to finish, he held the tension 
and never gave in. As I read this, I think Jesus must have been the most rigorous and lame and anal and bitter and boring and gruff and angsty and anxious and sexually terse human being on the face of earth. But he was not. He was the most kind and most gentle and most loving and gracious and peaceful and caring human being to ever walk. And he never once eased the pressure with drunkenness and sex and a gossip session. Jesus suffers like this to glorify the Father, to bring his children home, to transform you. It is only through Jesus that we could possibly bear fruit. As I conclude, Jesus did not live perfectly and die unjustly and resurrect supernaturally so that we can be at war against the flesh alone. But he does all of this so that in him you could receive the spirit and so that right now you can be in communion with him as he sits at the right hand of the father and intercedes on your behalf to the father so that every single moment of the day he is with you. His relationship with you is not just transactional, but it's personal and it's intimate. So that when you encounter temptation, he is with you. So that when you are hurting, he is present. So that when you even sin, he's right next to you. So that in all the mess of your life and in the long journey of reaching heaven, he's with you every step of the way. And you know what he does every single day? He invites you to come to him. If there is a voice in your mind that ever makes you feel like you need to clean yourself up, you need to fix yourself, you need to get it together for Jesus, Let it be known this morning that that is evil and wicked. Truly, you must know that in Christ this morning, there is no separation between you and God and Christ. Yes, you will, if you follow Jesus, feel the convictions of your sins. Yes, you will feel guilt for what you have done but you will never be shamed by him, embarrassed by him, and humiliated by him just so that you could just do better. But instead, you will experience as you, draw, as you confess your sins that he is drawing you closer to himself, gently to the cross. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, abide in me, rest in me, trust in me, follow me, right? Well, in the next few chapters, Jesus is captured put on trial, crucified. And do you know where the disciples were when all of that was happening to Christ? Where was Jesus's family when he was going through the worst moments of his life? Where was his best friends? They were nowhere to be found. They had abandoned him and even betrayed him. But something changes 
at the end of his family's lives and at the end of his friends' lives, where at the end of their lives, they actually are willing, even though in the moment when Jesus is being put on trial, crucified, even though they're not willing to die for him, then at the end of their lives, they're, they're willing to die and give it up. What possibly changed them? Where literally Peter would deny Jesus three times at his trial and then later be crucified upside down on a cross. Jesus rose from the grave and they were given the Holy Spirit. How can we possibly follow Jesus to the cross? The only way is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you journey on this adventure in the world, walk in the Spirit. Walk in Jesus' footsteps to our very own deaths and bear fruit along the way. Last night, a young man in our church stood on the stage and became a member. This week, I sat with him, and we were at a coffee shop, and he shared with me about how he grew up Catholic and how he was in seminary to become a Catholic priest. But when he moved here and started working at our school, something began to soften his heart towards Jesus. As he read the scriptures, in fact, as he even read Galatians, he said, he became convinced of the good news of Jesus in Christ alone. This completely changed him. He fell in love with a young lady at our church and school. They are engaged and are getting married soon. But because of his faith, he was telling me at this coffee shop that his Catholic parents were not going to attend the wedding. And because of his faith, he told me that he had just heard news from his Catholic groomsmen that they're not going to stand by his side at the wedding. And as I heard him share these things, I was, I was becoming angry and I was expecting him to boil with anger and hatred and cruelty towards his family and friends for their betrayal of him. But he did not. In fact, when speaking of them, he was gentle and he was kind he was loving and he was patient and caring. In fact, as he spoke and shared his suffering, I could feel and experience this joy from him of being God's son. And I could feel this peace that he had, that he was God's beloved child. It was like Jesus was in the coffee shop with us. He knew that Jesus was with him. He knew that Jesus was rejected by his family and betrayed by his dearest friends too. And in fact, the way that he talked about his walk with Christ was as if Christ was carrying him and holding him through that very moment. Walk with Jesus. Bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It starts at the cross. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning as sinners. We also come to you this morning as your children. And as little children, we come and, and we're a little scared um, 
um, that we've been caught and, and we are in big trouble. But God, would you remind us in this moment the truth that you are gentle and kind and loving? Will you remind us that you stand in opposition to sin and that you forgive us through the blood of Jesus? And God, anyone in this room that feels tempted to not draw near to you because they feel too gross and they feel too yucky and they feel too fallen, may you silence that lie and gently invite them to come to the cross. We love you, Father, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.